Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. As always, I want to thank you for joining us today. As I mentioned last week, there are three topics that we believe are going to be particularly important as we move into the new year, the pandemic, politics, and pent-up demand. Last week, we spent some time discussing the concept that pent-up demand will represent a catalyst for growth in the back half of this year. Today, with all eyes still focused on Washington, it is important to think about the areas of policy that will be most important to capital markets and the economy in the coming year. The first is, of course, stimulus. The path to pass a follow-up COVID-19 stimulus package to the CARES Act was long and frustrating, taking up much of the back half of the year as liability protections and state and local aid kept the two parties apart in the Senate. The $900 billion stopgap bill, passed in late December, was the result of a bipartisan compromise that essentially took those two items and punted them into 2021 when the new Senate, which was expected to still be in Republican control, would take them up. Now, however, the Senate is tied with the deciding vote in the hands of Kamala Harris once she becomes the vice president on January 20th. This has created a rush of enthusiasm from investors, particularly equity investors, as the promise of a multi-trillion dollar package is now on the table and could include everything from small business support and unemployment benefits to college debt relief and much larger stimulus checks. It could also include a meaningful amount of state and local aid. It is important to remember, however, that several senators that vote in the center could significantly influence the construction of this next aid package. Areas in particular that are likely to continue to garner scrutiny are the amount of state and local aid, how targeted that aid will be, or if it will be more general in nature. In addition, larger cash payments and student loan forgiveness create more questions than answers for some senators, particularly as the U.S. is moving into recovery mode. Our view is that cash stimulus, the PPP program, and expanded unemployment benefits certainly had a positive effect coming out of the CARES Act, and that these should remain in focus for Congress, while other programs likely demand more scrutiny and a bit of a nuanced approach. While we acknowledge the importance of COVID-19-related stimulus spend, particularly in terms of supporting small businesses and workers that remain unemployed or underemployed as a result of services businesses' closures, Congress will be forced to balance out the need for stimulus spending with the desire to kickstart a new phase of growth for the U.S. economy. In the past, crisis spending has been balanced between helping to ease immediate economic strains and to inject money into programs that can put people back to work in order to accelerate GDP. The idea of a large-scale infrastructure package is one that most people and both parties can likely get behind, but the size and focus of such a package could be heavily debated. While the Democrats are likely to push for greater spending on greener areas such as clean energy and high-speed rail, Republicans are more likely to focus on traditional infrastructure building projects like roads and bridges, ports, and airports. From a geographic perspective, including both types of projects would allow the spending to be spread more equally across regions of the United States and would likely be more palatable to both sides of the aisle. 
The challenge is determining the potential economic impact of such a move. Large-scale infrastructure packages in the 20th century were highly successful at boosting the economy, not just through employment, but also through improvement of supply chains and mobility of resources. Determining the who, what, and where of a new package will help determine the positive economic impact, as well as those industries, sub-industries, and companies which could benefit most. Infrastructure spending has been lacking for decades in the U.S., so a move could have positive ripple effects for years to come. The second question on the minds of investors is taxes. When the blue wave that has now washed over Congress and the White House was first discussed, the most frequently cited concern was that taxes would be moving higher. The three major areas of potential tax increases or changes that would result in higher tax payments are an increase in corporate taxes, changes in taxes related to real estate, such as the 1031 exchange, and estate tax changes. There is also speculation that a Democrat-controlled Congress could raise the long-term capital gains tax rate. While all of these are realistic concerns, the timing of these tax increases is important. Right now, the U.S. is only in the beginning stages of a recovery. Taxes typically represent a cost to investment and spending, something that a new president is not likely to invite. But with midterms only two short years away, the Democrats will want to pursue their agenda. Realistically, a corporate tax hike is probably the last thing on this list that the Dems will tackle. It will be universally disliked by the equity markets, and frankly, politicians seem much more interested in the movements in stocks than they have over the last few decades. Unless the economic recovery accelerates quickly in the back half of 2021 and into early 2022, there are other places the Democrats are likely to go with tax policy in this first half of Biden's term. Changes in taxes associated with real estate could experience some change. The pass-through which was enacted as part of the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act could be in jeopardy, as well as the 1031 Exchange Clause, which allows real estate owners to exchange appreciated property for a like property without incurring capital gains taxes. This practice is widely used and is viewed by many to represent a significant source of potential revenue particularly as the real estate market has recovered quickly from the pandemic. Capital gains and estate tax changes could also see some traction, as both are viewed as benefiting a limited number of wealthy individuals. Again, these are still all tax increases and therefore costs to investment and consumption, and so we'll get a lot of pushback from Republicans in Congress. Should a few Democratic senators choose to caucus with the Republicans on one or more of these issues, there would need to be compromise, which would be welcomed by the equity markets in general. Trade policy is also likely to change under the Biden administration. We covered this in our December 2nd podcast in detail, but in short, this area of policy could be most impactful to the global economy overall. President Trump campaigned on resetting many of the relationships between the United States and its trading partners, and one of the primary areas of emphasis during the second half of his term was the inequality of the relationship between the U.S. and China. President-elect Joe Biden faces new challenges as he enters into office, 
but he could definitely benefit from the opportunity to reset the playing field in China. China policy is unlikely to be as hands-off as it was during the Obama administration, but a renewal of the discussions that can build on last January's phase one trade deal is likely to come after the first several months of Biden's term, as those will primarily be focused on the pandemic. Biden will be very careful to ensure that he is protecting America's manufacturing interests in order to deliver on the campaign promises made in the Rust Belt that helped him win the election. But he will need to be conciliatory in his dialogue in order to bring the cautious Chinese back to the table in earnest. A new opportunity lies with the European Union and the United Kingdom. With the foundation of trade policy now outlined between the UK and the EU, Biden can pivot back to a stronger relationship with the EU while crafting a new way forward with the now trade independent UK. All of this should help to firmly cement the manufacturing recovery that is already underway here in the U.S. and help create a springboard for global GDP as we move into the back half of the year. Finally, there is the question of regulation. Post-financial crisis, the need to regulate the financial services industry dominated government regulation for several years. This gave way to the need to regulate the oil and gas industry as fracking helped pave the way for an energy renaissance here in the United States, while the Deepwater Horizon oil spill brought to light the expanded environmental challenges represented by this renaissance. Now, big tech is the industry receiving unwanted scrutiny, and unfortunately for Silicon Valley, this is a bipartisan push. While slowly growing their footprint, first organically and then increasingly through acquisition, these big technology firms have a significant level of influence in the overall economy. Amazon controls web hosting and e-commerce. Facebook is a favorite for advertisers. And Google has tentacles into hardware and search that are difficult to unravel. The challenge for the government is that most of what these companies have been allowed to do over the last decade has been blessed by regulators here in the U.S., even as other policymakers, such as those in the European Union, took issue with the unchecked expansion of these technology businesses. The concern for investors in these stocks, particularly at the higher multiples that they trade at today, is that they will be more limited in their ability to acquire going forward, and more growth will need to come from internal R&D and innovation, rather than relying on massive cash balances to drive growth through acquiring small competitors. It's too early to really understand what the long-term ramifications of this push for regulation could be, but our view is that it is unlikely to impair the core businesses enough to create a real threat to these companies' value, although it could create some volatility in the coming quarters. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will tackle the last of our three things to watch, the pandemic. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the year ahead by visiting bostonprivate.com. 
If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. And be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you choose to listen. And I look forward to coming to you again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.